And let me give you some review or recap from last week. And he says this in the beginning of his walk. And by the way, I brought it. You see how tiny this is? You think this is tiny. It took me about two weeks to read and digest this thing. I've read it in my seminary time. And I see my old highlights, fading yellow highlights. But this has been an eye-opener past two weeks. Because now, back then I was a seminarian, but now I've been a pastor. And it makes sense. And I understand better what he's trying to say. But he begins with this. One thing and only one thing is necessary for Christian life. Righteousness and freedom. What is it? That one thing is the most holy word of God, the gospel of Christ. And you are nodding your head thinking that obviously. Obviously. But what you have to understand is that that sentence is like bringing down the midday Texas sun to the foggy swamp of medieval Catholicism. He says only one thing is necessary for Christian life, the gospel of Christ, to the people who cannot tell from left to the right because of a thousand-year reigning of medieval Catholicism. One thousand year. We say good Catholicism ended around AD 400 to 500. And for a thousand years, they were kept in dark. Professor comes along and he says, only one thing is necessary, the gospel of Christ. And for us, it is obvious. But that is a radical statement. And he says, that word of God cannot be received and cherished by any works, whatever, but only by faith. Therefore, it is clear that as the soul needs only the word of God for its life and righteousness, so it is justified by faith alone and not any works. And the role of faith, we have learned are three things. First of all, faith justifies or frees. If you ask anybody, we know justification by faith alone is the theme for Luther. Where do you see that? all over his works, but primarily from this work. So faith justifies or faith frees people from darkness or from Satan or slavery of sin. That's the first thing. What causes that? Faith. Second benefit was what? That faith was so valuable, God reckons that faith as your righteousness. Third benefit was what? Very shockingly, third incompatible benefit of faith is that it unites the soul with Christ. And he's talking about victory. So in one sense, what he has said in the first half of his treatise, that a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, you accomplish that by faith. And once you have that faith, you are free. It reckons you as righteous. And that same faith will unite you to the victorious and risen Christ. So what Martin Luther, along with Paul, he will say is, stop trying. 
Because medieval Catholicism is all about what? Trying. You are never sure, so you are keep trying. Keep on trying. To that, Luther says, that's it. You are united to Christ. Was the first half how the faith breathes us? Now we turn to the second statement today. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful sovereign of all, subject to all. First one was, a Christian is free person, free Lord of all, subject to none. But the same apostle says that he was a slave to all to save some. And Luther is good at this kind of writing, very catching, one-liner. Something that you could memorize. And he says, A Christian is a perfectly dutiful sovereign of all, subject to all. Now, stop. And guess what he's going to say. If you are given these two statements today, first part you will say, Yes, I believe in Christ, and Christ sets me free. We understand. And when you look at the second sentence, Christian is a sovereign of all, You will say what? Now that I am saved, I am going to serve other people. That's how you are going to say or think. And that's what I was expecting for Luther to say. Now that you are free, start serving. Because, you know, you are sovereign of all. That's what you do. You serve people. But that's not how he proceeds. And I'm going to tell you. I'm going to try to make this very uh, succinct for you. But it was an eye-opener for me. So the today's title is, really, sermon title is Luther's Theology of Good Works. That's why we have read from Confession, Westminster Confession, of Good Works. What he will do in the second part of this little book is not to tell us how to serve other people. But he is going to explain the theology of good works. And it is going to take some time for him to develop that. And all the way to the end, he will talk about, now let's serve other people. So in between, now that I'm freed and I'm going to serve other people, there are some things that he will say. And I think this is very good for our souls. Because we are all at that stage where we are saved And we are thinking about how to serve God, church, and other people. And let's see what this reformer says. How we should go about doing that. And he begins this section in this way. Now let us turn to the second part, the second sentence. The outer man. Outer man. It took me a while to understand what he was saying, because I, like I said, I was expecting for him to say, this is how you are going to serve people. But he says, no, let's turn our attention to the outer man. And that's where he is going to develop his theology of good works. Up until now, he talked about faith. And now he's going to talk about good works. And he asks this question, that everybody else was asking. If everything is done by faith alone, what is the point of good works? 
And he says this, If faith does all things and is alone sufficient unto righteousness, why then are good works commanded? That's what Catholics were accusing him of. And the official position of Catholic Church comes in 1547. This is 1520. 1547, what is known as Council of Trent. And in the Council of Trent, they condemn Lutheran theology. And listen to this. 1547, Council of Trent, 6th session. Canons concerning justification. This is by the Catholic Church. Canon 9. If anyone says that the sinner is justified by faith alone, meaning that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to obtain the grace of justification, and that it is not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the action of his own will, let him be anathema. So what Luther will do at this point is going to develop and, and defend his position against that kind of Catholic accusation. And listen to, once again, let me give you the quotation from Luther. If somebody says, we will take our ease and do no works and be content with faith, I answer, Luther says, not so, you wicked man, not so. That would indeed be proper, listen to this, if we were holy, inner, and perfectly spiritual men. But such we shall be only at the last day, the day of the resurrection of the dead. As long as we live in the flesh, we only begin to make some progress in that which shall be perfected in the future life. This is the place to assert that which was said above, namely, that a Christian is the sovereign of all and made subject to all. Let me give you another quotation. Although, as I have said, a man is abundantly and sufficiently justified by faith inwardly in his spirit, and so has all that he needs, except insofar as this faith and these riches must grow from day to day, even to the future life, yet he remains in this mortal life on earth. In this life, he must control his own body and have dealings with men, other men, here the works begin. Here a man cannot enjoy leisure. Here he must indeed take care to discipline his body by fastings, watchings, labors, and other reasonable discipline and to subject it to the spirit so that it, the body, will obey and conform to the inner man and faith and not revolt against faith and hinder the inner man as it is the nature of the body to do if it is not held in check. I don't know if you have understood what he was saying. Long quotation. You know what he's saying? I read it many times to understand that. Martin Luther is a master theologian and polemical writer. Like I said, you expect Luther to say, now that you are freed in Christ, serve the neighbors. But what he is saying is, good works is a necessary consequence of being justified. 
So, serving other people falls into the category of good works. So he does not go immediately from justification to serve other people's service. But in between, he starts to develop his theology of good works. What he said about, here the works begin. Or what he said about, we remain in this body. So good works are necessary so that our body will conform to the inner man. Inner man is what is justified. Fully, completely. But because we are already but not yet, right, in that stage, live in the body, for Luther, good works are necessary so that body will obey what is already true in the inner man. Before Luther looks at the sufferings of the world, or need in other people's lives, or serving the church, what Luther does is that he first looks at himself carefully. Luther finds the necessity of serving other people from the inner man who has been justified, freed, and united by faith alone. In the beginning, it seems boring. Why? Why are we talking about good works? Why are we talking about theology of good works? Why can't we just go, now that you are freed, serve people? What Luther is carefully guarding is that if you introduce service too early, a person will rely on that service for his or her own righteousness. So throughout this book, from beginning to the end, he will talk about faith, faith, faith alone all the time. Why? Because he does not want to say, now that you are saved, start serving other people. When you do that, he knows people will fall into that trap again. So he says, you look at yourself, and where the good works and service begins is from your inner justified self and your body conforming to it. And he's talking about sanctification. Again, you may wonder, why can't we just serve other people? But he says, stop. You are freely justified. And you take care that your body will conform to that confession of faith in you. And it will all make sense at the end. And you look at yourself carefully first. Do not be excited about serving other people, saving the world. Not yet. But you discipline your body. This is Luther speaking, right? Sola fide guy, he's speaking. You do all the works to beat your body, to conform that body to that inner person who is justified, and that's where good works begin. That's the first part. Good works, sanctification. And you're scratching your head. When are we going to talk about that we are servant of all? And then he moves on to the second point. Secondly, for Luther, after looking carefully at himself, now turns to look at God. Not the nations, not the churches, not the neighbors yet. But he says, 
You look at yourself, make sure that you are justified. Once you are justified, then you make sure you are sanctified. And then you look at God. Why? Because God is the one who has given you the saving faith, and you should overflow from within with thanksgiving and praise to God. And what you are going to look at is now you are going to look at God and praise God and serve God. You see what I'm saying? He's not quick to move to let's go and save the world. Let's serve other people. No, you look at yourself first. And then you look at God. And this is the quotation. Both joyful and happy the soul is because of Christ in whom so many benefits are conferred upon him. And therefore it is his one occupation to serve God joyfully and without thought of gain in love that is not constrained. Another quotation, Luther says, Our whole purpose is to be directed only toward the driving out of lusts, since by faith the soul is cleansed and made to love God, it desires that all things, and especially its own body, shall be purified, so that all things may join with it in loving and praising God. Let me, see, let me explain what Luther is doing. If we say, let's say, practically speaking, RPC, we are in need of servants who could serve the church. Normal person will do this. Make sure that that person is a Christian. Oh, are you willing to serve? Serve. Whatever it is that you want to serve. Whatever the gifts that God has given you. Luther is... So much careful in looking at from people who are justified and employing these people into the service of God. He wants to make sure that within that person, that there is, first of all, justification. But let me use the term, assurance of salvation. Sola fide really is in full sense of the term, has to do with assurance of salvation. It is not intellectual. I believe, so I know. It is more than that. And when, that there, when there is that assurance of salvation in you by faith alone, you could be assured of your salvation because the only thing is required for Luther is your faith. Stop trying. Faith alone is sufficient to receive that thing, the gospel of Christ. What else? The works do not receive gospel. It is your faith, and faith alone could receive that promise of the gospel of Christ. Make sense? So once you are sure of that salvation, because your salvation is only through faith alone, he wants to make sure that you are being sanctified. It is something that we do not think about, people. Churches in general are always searching and looking for volunteers. And some churches are better than other churches in, in carefully placing people into right positions, but some are not. What he is doing is to make sure that that person is justified and he or she knows that. How do we know that? 
Because truly justified person will be full of praise. He's saying in a sense, watch him. Watch him first. And see if that person is full of praise and thanksgiving to God. Because that God has given him or her so much in Christ. Only through faith alone. And he or she is bound to praise God. Stop and think about whether he or she is being sanctified. What does that have to do with serving God? Everything. Everything will make sense at the end. If you are so consumed with that God who has justified you, you'll be full of praise. And full of praise is not simply singing, but once again disciplining your body so that body will conform to that confession. And why does it talk about sanctification? I, I didn't understand. First of all, it was so... This thing, I was thinking, oh, this is going to be so easy. <laughs> It was so hard to understand this little book again, almost after 20 years. But it makes sense. It made sense at the end because a person who is not sanctified, or at least he or she is trying to be sanctified with thanksgiving, that person will not last in serving other people. Why is that? Because only the sanctified will know how to persevere, how to endure unthankfulness, for example. Because he or she is first of all full of loving and praising God, in some sense that is the safeguard that is placed in that person. Right? So, if you employ someone to service, what if that person is discouraged by that service right away? What you will notice is that without some progress in sanctification, that person will not last. Isn't isn't that true? I remember one time, my previous church was deep in Queens and it was very difficult to come out to Flushing. So one afternoon I was coming out and I saw a sister, young sister, uh, lingering in the hallway. So I said, should I give you a ride to Flushing? With my son. And she said, yes, I want, to, I want to go. I want to go home. But I noticed that group was not done. So I asked her, aren't you, the, aren't you one of the leaders in that group? And she said, yes, I am. I said, um, they're not done. I saw them meeting over there. Why, why are you leaving so early? And she said to me, you know, in that small group, People talk about their issues and problems. And when I listen to that problem, problems, I can bear it. I cannot bear their burdens. I cannot, I can't hear it. So I'm leaving. I'm going home. I remember thinking, really? I was dumbfounded. Really, not to condemn that person. But I would expect someone serving in the leadership position would say, I need to hear about my members and what they're going through and pray about that whole situation. But here she was. that She didn't want to listen to the problems because it is depressing. And I understand she, she has her own issues. But that's what I'm talking about. A person Who lacks full assurance of salvation? A person 
who is lacking in loving and praising God. You see, serving, we think it is right away. We are sovereign of all, or let's start serving. Martin Luther, in his context, I see Luther and Calvin in this way. Calvin is more systematic, right? People say Calvin is so profound and so on. I read Calvin, it is just like plain thing. Luther, to me, is like a prince going out with his dagger, trying to fight this dragon. And for him, for Luther, dragon is works righteousness. Wherever he turns in that medieval Germany, everything, the Christendom, is talking about some kind of works. And Luther does not like that. That is why you will see over and over again his insistence upon faith. And some of you say, well, what about election? What about sovereign grace of God? He's not at all concerned about that right now. He does not have luxury to talk about predestination. Not yet. Predestination really is talked about Calvin and for the second generation reformers. First generation Luther, wherever he sees the head of dragon, he's striking it down. By saying sola fide, nothing else. It's not because Luther's dumb or dumber. It's not. He's brilliant. Like I said, union already, 1520. Full blown theology of union with Christ. But Luther does that. And he's concerned again. Before he explains that you are sovereign of all, start serving. No, no, no. He wants to make sure that you are a serious Christian, born again Christian, full of praise and thanksgiving. Disciplining your own body, some kind of discipline. So, it is my conclusion here. Only those who are freed by God's grace through faith alone in Christ can joyfully, self-sacrificingly serve God and then others. So, Luther wants you to look at yourself first. Before you start talking about serving He says, examine your heart and see whether you are justified. Second, don't look at other people. Don't look at the world. Don't look at the need in the world. But look at God. Are you praising God? Are you serving God without any reward expected because God has given you so much in Christ? And can't you see that will safeguard our hearts in serving God? And I'm going to introduce the final section. Only then he talks about serving other people. We shall also speak of the things which he does toward his neighbor. So you have to endure a few pages of him talking about good works. And I'm thinking, why are we talking about this? And finally he turns to serving other people. And listen to this. If all that is true, what he talked about, a man does not live for himself alone in this mortal body to work for it alone, but he lives also for all men on earth. Rather, he lives only for others and not for himself. To this end, to do that, to live only for other people, to this end, He brings his body into subjection that he may the more sincerely and freely serve others. 
Putting body into subjection is necessary. Sanctification is necessary because more sanctified you are, you are more able to serve other people sacrificially, joyfully. Because there is nothing that is hindering within you because the sin within you has been put down by the grace of God. And as you are being more sanctified, you are becoming more efficient, if I could say, more effectual in serving other people. Isn't that true? You put someone who's not sanctified into service, what happens? Trouble, fights, arguments. They don't listen. My way or highway. All of the problems arise. Why? Because that person is not sanctified. He's not becoming holier. And this, this makes sense. Only the justified, this is me speaking, only the justified will serve and only the sanctified will actually, efficiently, sacrificially, will, willingly, lovingly, freely, cheerfully serve God and others. And he says this, this is what makes caring for the body a Christian work. That through its health and comfort, we may be able to work, to acquire, and to lay by funds with which to aid, that's money, aid those who are in need, that in this way the strong member may serve the weaker. And we may be sons of God, each eating for and working for the other, bearing one another's burdens, and so fulfilling the law of Christ. This is truly Christian life. Here faith is truly active through, through love. That is, it finds expression in works of the freest service, cheerfully and lovingly done, with which a man willingly serves another without hope of reward. And listen to this. And for himself, he is satisfied with the fullness and wealth of his faith. That's how he ends. Full circle. He begins with faith. Because faith is the only thing that could receive the word of the gospel. And then at the end, all that is true, and he or she truly serves God and other people, he is satisfied at the end with the fullness and the wealth of his faith. Even though there is no gain, physically speaking. And he says it again. We should devote all our works to the welfare of others, since each has such abundant riches in his faith. That's right. And his key passage in the last section is Philippians 2, 5 through 8. We are in Philippians. Philippians 2 is about Christ becoming a slave. And this is how he ends, and I'll be done with this quotation. Although the Christian is thus free from all works, he ought in this liberty to empty himself like Christ. We need to empty ourselves. Take upon himself the form of a servant, 
be made in the likeness of man, be found in human form to serve, help, and in every way deal with his neighbor as he sees that God through Christ has dealt and still deals with him. I will therefore give myself as a Christ to my neighbor, just as Christ offered himself to me. Hence, as our Heavenly Father has in Christ freely come to our aid, we also ought freely to help our neighbor through our body and its works, and each one should become, as it were, a Christ to the other, that we may be Christ to one another, and Christ may be the same in all, that is, that we may be truly Christians. Who then can comprehend the riches and the glory of the Christian life? Here's the conclusion. He can do all things and has all things and lacks nothing. It is Lord over sin, death, and hell. And yet at the same time, it serves, ministers to, and benefits all men. We are done. True Christian. What is a true Christian? Someone who has faith. That's true Christian. Faith that saves or justifies. Faith that treasures God in Christ. Faith that desires personal holiness. So that my inner confession will not be betrayed by my own body or earthly instincts, fallenness. So he or she wants to sanctify oneself. Faith that exalts in God. is looking at God and praising God without a hint of thinking about earthly reward. Faith that serves God alone and that flows into other people. And as he said, faith that gives yourself to others. He's just like, I want to be a Christ to other people. And the last one really helped me thinking about true Christian service. That is a faith that is satisfied in God alone. All of you know the life of the church. Maybe not at this stage because maybe you are busy with, let's say, children and so on. But all of us, we know what it means to be a Christian. All of us, we know what it means to be a servant of Christ. We know. We've been serving all our lives in the church, in the churches of Christ. And now we are here by the providence of God. Your life and my life, our lives are intersecting at RPC by the providence of God. And it will do well for us to consider Luther's teaching. It is like having Martin Luther here and asking him to give us a lecture on the life of a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian, Martin Luther? And he will say these things. Guest preacher. Are you a free person? Are you truly freed? Free from sin, slavery, and even fear of death? Do you have that faith? You look at yourself, he says. 
You need to look at God. What is your response to, get to that God who has given everything to you in Christ by faith alone? He didn't require anything else but faith. Are you responding to God? And stop talking about other people in the need of the church and people or the world. Not yet. You make sure that you are praising God and you are being sanctified. And then, yes, you look at other people. And you remember Philippians chapter 2, what Christ did? You do the same for other people. It is not living for other people. It is that you only living for other people. You live for other people. Because that's what Christ has done it for you. But at the end of the day, for us, when are we discouraged? When we put 10, we want the return, 10 or more. But in Christian service, you put 10, what do you get? Zero or minus 10? That's right. So it is self-defeating in a sense, in this worldly thinking. It is especially so in smaller churches. Because the reward is not immediate. It's not tangible. You cannot see it. So major fight for us in this church is to fight that discouragement. How are you going to fight that discouragement? Are we going to look at God and say, God, I want you to fill this sanctuary with 100, 200 people. Well, we may pray and we may diligently seek to do that. But what if it doesn't come about? Right. That is why it is so hard to do a small church. In bigger church, you have a natural excitement. But here, there's really nothing much going on. There are a lot of needs, but there are no immediate return to that service. If we had Luther here, Dr. Luther, so what is your advice to us? Yeah, he would say what he just said. Truly freed person and truly sanctified person will cheerfully serve without hope of reward because he is satisfied with the fullness and wealth of his faith. And what he would say is that, brothers and sisters, you have everything in Christ. That's where we begin. So don't look for anything else and be discouraged. But be satisfied in everything that God has given you. We're probably what Luther would say. And I hope and pray that you are that true Christian. Wherever you are lacking, first, second, and third. First yourself, second God, third other people. Let us examine our hearts and let us, by the grace of God, do better in those situations. Not trying like in salvation, but because we have received so much from Christ and as a dutiful servant of God and other people, by faith, by faith, we could 
make those happen. Do it better in those places. As you employ, employ your God-given faith. And let us do that is, our, is my plea to you and prayer for this church. Let's pray.